0: Please remain standing. We'll be reading from Haggai, chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 5. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came And worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to
1: God. This morning, um, I want uh, to begin just in prayer that God would bless uh, his uh, word. The teaching of it, the proclamation of it uh, to the good and glory uh, of our uh, Savior Jesus. This morning, bow with me. God and Father, we live in a country of great riches, as has already been um, noted this morning. Um, We had a declaration of independence. We have a constitution, yet as citizens of your great kingdom, your everlasting kingdom, uh, those things are temporal. Uh, You declare us. Uh, free from sin in Jesus Christ. You give us a constitution in your word. And so, Lord, we ask this morning that you would, of course, bless uh, the nation that we live in, the peoples of our nation, the rulers over it. Uh, But, Lord, we pray all the more, uh, Lord, for your word uh, to deeply root itself in our hearts this morning, that we might be changed uh, not uh, to live as temporary citizens, but as forever citizens in your kingdom. Lord God, you are mighty and gracious to us to be able to attend uh, your word this morning, to hear from you, and Lord, we ask you that it would be tender and sweet words as we need to hear this morning, that there would be uh, loving and firm words where we need to hear this morning, but in all of it, we ask you that you would um, give glory to your son, Jesus Christ, in the midst of all of it. Lord, we love you, and it is in your son's name that we pray your blessing over the word. Amen. Well, July 4th is a day uh, that is ripe for sentimentality, ripe for patriotism. It's uh, ripe for embellishment on uh, words. We use uh, words like independence. We use uh, all sorts of things to kind of describe uh, the things that we feel. And uh, oftentimes, those things are really heartfelt and deep, but at times, uh, we can overemphasize things. It can be actually a distraction to the real freedom that we've got to talk about things in like a syrupy, sweet, chicken soupy, you know, kind of way. We are guilty of this as Americans. We can make much, very little. We can overemphasize certain things. There are some biblical concepts that make me feel uncomfortable when they are overemphasized, when they are used wrongly, when they are talked about in ways that just don't, totally sit right in your heart. Uh, Or that's at least the way that it is for me. While in the garden, Jesus uh, cries out, and we're going to talk a little bit about this this morning, uh, cries out, Abba, Father. uh, Which is, uh, the word Abba was actually uh, a word of great affection uh, and would really loosely actually translate uh, into uh, our English uh, language as Daddy. Daddy. Uh, and, and because of this, uh, we actually have, and I've heard quite a few Christians, uh, pray to Daddy. And uh, there's something about it, just the overemphasis on that. Not, not, not wrong, not sinful, but it just doesn't sit totally right with me in the way that I understand my Heavenly Father. Um, you know, I hear the word daddy, and it translates into uh, our culture as like, I just hear a high school or middle school girl talking to their daddy when they want uh, the latest cell phone or want a new car, and, and there's just something that is a departure from the relationship that I have with my Abba Father, and, and so just uh, kind of recognize that. Another one of those words that I think uh, often gets kind of mingled into our vernacular that I don't always feel comfortable with is the word friend. Is calling God the Father a friend? It just seems out of place to me. Is it wrong? Is it sinful? No, of course not. Uh, But is God the Father a friend? And I'm not talking about like the old hymn that what a friend we have in Jesus. That's a different, different person of the Trinity. I'm talking about God the Father. Is God the Father a friend? Uh, oftentimes, if you were to go out and look for uh, good fathers, uh, you would find that good fathers are very rarely uh, friends, buddies, old pals. Good fathers aren't often like that, and so there's just a certain amount of discomfort that I have in, uh, in talking about uh, the father as a friend. We're not absent, by the way, of biblical kind of uh, parameters for that. Uh, 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 Abraham, Father Abraham, is described in Scripture as God's friend. Uh, So we're not without, you know, any kind of biblical understanding of God as a friend. In fact, uh, in uh, Psalm 25, it says, Friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. So there can be a friendship with the Lord, but it's for those who fear Him. And then He makes known to them His covenants. But when we use words like daddy, when we use words like uh, friend... There's just some of that like same sentimentality that I was talking about earlier, that syrupy sweetness, that cheapness that, that I feel like doesn't capture the full depth of truth. But I do want to understand God as a friend. I do want to understand how there can be this Psalm 26 uh, friendship and fear partnered together. And what I find here in Haggai in the verses that were just read, is a way to understand the fear of the Lord and the friendship of the Lord. And here's where they come together, at least one of the ways that they come together, and this is really what we're going to discover in this text this morning, is that fearful worshipers make fearless workers. Fearless worshipers make fearless workers. You might look at the text again and go, I I don't know where you're getting that. Let's march through that. In order to understand fearful worshipers as fearless workers, we have to understand three things this morning. We're going to explore three things to help us understand that primary point this morning. First is fearful obedience. What does fearful obedience look like? What is it why are we commanded to obey? Why, how are we to be fearful? Why are we to be fearful? Isn't that a strange concept? Fearful obedience. We've got to understand it. The second is we have to understand the things that flow out of fearful obedience. We have to understand God's blessed presence, the Lord's blessed presence, which we're going to spend a lot of time on this morning. And finally, we need to understand fearless strength. So in order to understand our lives as fearful worshipers and being made into fearless workers, we got to understand fearful obedience, blessed presence, and fearless strength. I repeat these things in the morning, not just to kind of cement them in our minds, but so that the note takers can kind of get, uh, get the points, get where we are going this morning. By way of context, we uh, started the book of Haggai last week, and what we needed to understand is that even before the book of Haggai was written, uh, disobedient Israel had forgotten God. They had walked away from God. They had sought their own glory, and this God of covenants has always said, if you love me, you will obey me. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you forget me, if you uh, follow after other gods, if you forget who I am, if you forget my covenants, then I'll curse you. Blessing and curse follows obedience or disobedience. So God removed his hand of blessing from Israel, and Israel was exiled to Babylon. They went to a place that was not theirs, with gods that were not theirs, and they spent decades in exile there in a pagan city. And then... What we discovered last week is that God miraculous brought, miraculously brought a remnant of his people back to his place to live in worship of him, to live in his presence. But we discovered something else. For the better part of two decades while they were home, they had not rebuilt his temple And so here's what we find out, this group of people that had been disobedient and been sent into exile now comes back with an opportunity to obey and to seek these things out, and they don't start rebuilding his temple. And without his temple, they're left without a place of worship. They're left without a place for sacrifice. They're left without his presence. They're left without his blessing. That's what we discovered last week. And so what God does is he, he speaks up, he says something to them. He, he loves his people so much that he's willing to speak to them and tell them, hey, listen, I brought you back into this place for a purpose, and your priority needs to be worship. Consider your ways, he says. Your priorities are wrong. Build the temple. Prioritize worship. That that brings us to our text this morning. So we're going to unpack this idea of fearful obedience. Now this prideful, self-centered, idolatrous, disobedient uh, people ended up in exile. But now in verse 12, look at it with me. We see that God speaks to Zerubbabel and then he speaks to Joshua and he speaks to the remnant of God's people through a prophet named Haggai. And he says, Consider your ways, rebuild the temple. What does verse twelve say? Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the remnant of the God's people, what? Look at it with me. They obeyed. They could have chosen to continue to disobey, but they obey the voice of the Lord. They obey the voice of the Lord. Maybe you have been stuck in a season where you feel like you have been in exile. You've been without God's presence. You've been without God's blessing. And here we have a picture for what this needs to look like, what your response needs to look like. You hear the voice of the Lord and you obey it. That's what God's people are doing. And and notice this, Zerubbabel, Joshua All the remnant of God's people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. They stopped focusing on their jobs, on their homes, their paneled houses. They stopped focusing on their economy. And what did they do? They obeyed the Lord and began to rebuild the temple. They began to put stone on top of stone. They began to gather the wood from the hills we saw last week. And they start to rebuild the place of worship. Obedience to God is a trusting and faith in God. What what we need to know and understand here is that for the previous 11 verses, uh, the person that was talking to God's people was the Lord of hosts. You can go back and scan the, the first 11 verses, and the person that's talking there is the Lord of hosts. But who is it this time? What does it say? They obeyed the voice of the Lord of hosts? The Lord, their God. It's gone from being this Lord of hosts to being our Lord. It's our Lord. They're claiming, they're obeying their Lord. So what they're doing essentially is turning away from that self. Turning away from their selfish actions and turning towards God's commandment. This, what this is called, there's a, there's a, a super uh, spiritual word for it and it's repentance. They're turning away from their past actions to obedience. That is called repentance. Why repent? Verse 12 tells us. Why did they repent? Was it just out of the goodness of their heart? Was it uh, just simply because they thought that it was a good idea? Verse 12 tells us. Look down at it. The people feared the Lord. The people feared the Lord. So when we're talking about a fearful obedience, it's not something some of us just go, that's not the God that I know. I I, I don't want to be afraid of God. I might suggest to you that you might be building an idol. You might be building and fashioning a God after uh, your own image, your own desires. If there's no fear in you towards God, Understand that that might not be the God of the Bible because this group of people in verse 12 were motivated towards obedience out of fear of the Lord, and that's with good reason. They had spent decades. Many children had been born outside of God's place, without God's temple, and here they are with this chance to obey, and they realize, man, we've really messed up. Maybe we should obey. They have good reason They've understood that uh, God has, as he said in the previous verses, that he's withheld blessing from them because of their uh, disobedience. And because of that, we find that there is no room for a cavalier spirit. There's no room for a chicken soup friendship with God the Father. Rather, there's a relationship of love and also fear. Fear. In Psalm 28, when it says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Whoever hardens their heart actually will result in calamity. That's the Old Testament talking. So maybe you might be uh, tempted to think, Well, maybe that's an Old Testament thing. Maybe fear of the Lord is an Old Testament thing. No one understands that the New Testament in Philippians says this, Work out your salvation with what? With fear. With fear and trembling. Why? for it is God who works in you. So it's not just, hey, be afraid. It's, it's be appropriately reverent of this awesome, magnificent God of this universe who the very uh, vapors of his breath spilled out galaxies into all of this known universe. That's how powerful he is. So, so how do we understand friendship there? Well, it has to include at some point a reverence and awe, a fear of God not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament too. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works within you. What are we discovering here? What we're discovering is that fellowship flows out of fearful obedience. I think I just said fellowship. I meant worship. Worship flows out of fearful obedience. This awesome reverence for a God whose power drives us towards obedience. Hebrews 12 says this, Let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. That's what Hebrews says. How are we to worship? Offer acceptable worship. That kind of implies that there are ways of unacceptable worship, doesn't it? It'd be, uh, if we had more time here this morning, we might even try to think through what some of those unacceptable ways of worship might be. But here, Hebrews tells us, offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. Nehemiah 1.11 says this, Lord, your ear be attentive to prayer of your servants who delight to fear in your name. So it's not just a a fear that's like uh, trembling and like cowering in a corner. It's a delightful fear. Is that the way that you talk about fear? Do you think of fear in a way that you could delight in fear? You might be tempted to run to the New Testament where it talks about how love casts out fear. So what kind of fear is this that we're supposed to have with God? Maybe it's a completely different kind of fear. It's one that you can even delight in in. Christians delight to fear the Lord's name and delight in obedience to his commandments. Why? Because he's a consuming fire. Because he's worthy. You know who knew this? You know who knew this? Jesus knew this. Isaiah proclaims something about this uh, one day prophet, priest, and king it says this of Jesus, that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. We are to be fearfully obedient. Why? Because Jesus was fearfully obedient. We're going to dig into that a little bit more. So what we find here in talking about fearful obedience is that We find it hard to think of fearing God, not because we've misunderstood what fear is, but because we've misunderstood what God is, who God is. We're not misunderstanding fear in as much as we are misunderstanding how awesome and magnificent and amazing God is, so much so that we might even be able to take delight in our fear. But that doesn't help us really understand how we become friends with God, how we experience God in a familial, fatherly, friendly kind of way. And that brings us to our next point this morning. We're not just to be fearfully obedient. Were to expect something to flow out of that fearful obedience. What is it? His blessed presence. All these years, the Israelites have lacked the presence of God. Why? Because they did not fear him and they did not obey him. Now, I would think that it would be easy to think that God's presence would not come to his people until they had fully, completely obeyed in building the temple. But if you pay attention to this passage, what we're going to discover is that they have not completed the temple and that it stands as nothing in front of them, doesn't it? So maybe God is going to like withhold his presence, withhold his blessing, withhold his nearness, withhold his friendship from this people until they're done obeying him. Well, just a few weeks after they started, God asked them this, who is left among you who saw the temple? Who, who among you, after many decades, remembers the glory of Solomon's temple? Here's what you need to know. The only people that had remembered the glory of Solomon's temple were people that were very, very young. Likely, probably didn't even remember it. All that they had heard was about the glory of Solomon's temple. They had heard stories of it. Their grandparents and great-grandparents and their parents had told them about that place where God's presence was, where they would make sacrifices, where psalms would be sung, where glory was had. They had only heard whispers of it. They knew that it was glorious. And you know what else they knew? They knew that they couldn't rebuild it. They, They knew that they couldn't rebuild that kind of glorious temple. They were just trying to make ends meet. They were trying to scrape by and now God's like, go and build my house. You're living in paneled houses. Go and build my house. Don't neglect worship. It is your priority. And they've got to be thinking, how are we going to rebuild Solomon's temple? Just a few weeks after they start, God says, who remembers seeing it? Now look at it. Isn't it as nothing before your eyes? And they've got to be thinking, yeah, we've only been at it a few weeks here. We, we haven't even gotten into a good steady pace of work. Furthermore, if you really pay attention to the dates, there was very little that was done to this temple. Why? Because they had this festival of booths where in order to remember God's kindness, they moved out of their houses. This was not insignificant, by the way, for a group of people that had just been accused by God of trying to build their own paneled houses. And they're having to move out of those houses put themselves underneath little booths made of branches so that, they could be, uh, uh, so that they could remember their times of poverty. They would have been living in these like, tiny like shanties, temporary shanties, for a few weeks over the course of time where they should have been rebuilding God's house, his temple. They hadn't gotten anything done. If you're like, hey, button it up for me, they had not gotten anything done. But pay attention to this. Verse 13, I am with you, declares the Lord. Verse 4, I am with you, declares the Lord. I wonder how many of us think that we've got to build something big and great in order to deserve God's presence. I wonder how many of us go, this has been a season of disobedience for me. I wonder how many years of obedience I would have to have in order to win God's favor back, to bring his presence back into my life. Do you see what's going on here? God says, consider your ways. They obey God. They have a fearful obedience, and immediately God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. You don't have to earn my presence. You don't have to work real hard for my presence. I'm with you. Maybe someone is here this morning. That's all they needed this morning. Just to hear God say, I'm with you. I love you. I'm here. I'm going to bless you with my presence twice. He declares it. He's with them according to the covenant that I made with you when you came up out of Egypt. He had not forgotten his promises. God has promised to be with his promised people, and that promise is enhanced by their obedience to this Mosaic covenant that had been made. You, you understand that when he's talking about I, I'm with you in this covenant, when they were coming out of Egypt, what had happened was God's people comes out of Egypt. Remember, they walked through on dry land. They came through this massive sea on dry land, and then what happens? They wander around the wilderness for a while, and God lovingly says, Moses, come up here. Come up here to the top of Mount Sinai. I'm going to give you my rules I'm going to give you my love, my direction for your life. Uh, Moses is going to say, I, I want to see you, Lord. And he's going to put him between this cleft in the rock and say, uh, you can see, but only, only my back for now. My, my glory is too immense for you. It would kill you. Take these tablets. Take them down to my people. Let them know that obedient living is going to bring about my blessed presence in your life. He's saying, I'm still that God. That's what he's telling them through the prophet Haggai. That's what he's saying to his people is, I'm still your God and I am with you. It's important to remember that where God is manifesting his presence, there is blessing. Where he is manifesting his presence, there is blessing. In the last uh, part of last week, uh, God iterates that they um, have uh, lacked his blessing because they have lacked obedience. They take a step of obedience, and God partners it with his presence. When Israel is obedient, then they are in God's place, with God's presence, and God's blessing. I, I want to try to apply this ever so briefly to today where he speaks, his word will be fruitful. You, you know that passage, right? You know that we're told that, like, uh, there is no sowing of his word that doesn't reap a harvest of fruit. If you're wanting God's presence, be in God's word. If you're wondering, man, I wonder why I haven't been experiencing God's presence and his blessing, I have a question for you. Are you listening to him? Are you in his word? God makes promises about his presence and his word that if you attend it, if you are there with him, if you are spending time with him in his word, it will be fruitful. His word will not return void. I wonder if you're uh, praying that the spirit would uh, just quicken your soul. I wonder if you're uh, praying that the Father would give you the spirit I wonder if you know and understand that your body is the temple and that the Spirit is dwelling such that when you go to Galatians and it talks about how you, as a matter of uh, one of God's people, have the Spirit and that the fruit of the Spirit is peace. It is patience. It is kindness. It is faithfulness. It is joy. It is gentleness. It is self-control. Where God's presence is, His blessing will be there also. That's how we know and understand his presence today, his blessing today. Christians remember his covenant promise of his presence in Jesus when Jesus tells us he will never leave us, he will never uh, forsake us. Do you believe it? So this kind of leads us into the third and final point. We're trying to make uh, some sort of connection between uh, God's presence, his blessing, his friendship, and fearful obedience. And so here's the question that I've got for you this morning. How does the fear of God and the blessed presence of God make sense to us? And before we go on to the last and final point, which is uh, that we have fearless strength, I want to give you an illustration of how to understand this. I want you to imagine that your life is like ascending a mountain of some kind and you're on on the side of a cliff and there's a a small path that's like running up the side of this mountain and on one side you have a sheer cliff going down and on the other side you have a sheer cliff going up and you start to see the clouds accumulate, you start to hear the distant uh, thunder roar in the distance, you begin to see flashes of light and you know I am in danger. That you know something about the fear of God in that moment. You know that there is wrath. You know that there is something about God that is powerful. And that if you are in the presence of it, it might kill you. Do you fear the Lord? All of us maybe have some form of understanding there. But how do we get to that place of friendship with a God like that? How do we get to a place of grace what we do is we find that cave in the rock called Jesus Christ. And and when you've found it, when you've gone into it, when you're in Jesus Christ, what does that thunderstorm outside become? Is it something still awful to you? You look out at it and you go, what a beautiful thing, what awesome power, what amazing majesty. How how do we go about understanding God's uh, fearful wrath And delighting in it the way that Jesus does. Delighting in it the way that we are commanded to. Something in this illustration I think gets at, however imperfectly, how we can possibly understand God's fearful wrath and take delight in it. How we can fearfully obey God. How we can see his presence as a good thing because he puts us in the cleft of the rock. The storm outside becomes something that is no longer fearful to us no longer damaging to us, no longer uh, something that uh, we are just sheerly fearful of, but something that we can stand in awesome reverence of. That's the kind of God that we serve. And that is what gives us fearless strength. Fearful obedience. And blessed presence stir our spirits and they command our strength. Where am I seeing that? Go to verse 14 with me. After he says, I am with you, it says then three times, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua. The Lord stirred up the spirit of all of the remnant of his people. How many people? All of his people. How many people are included in everything? All of them. Everybody in this nation has a stirred up spirit. The spirit of God is coming in and encouraging God's people with his presence three times. Three times following Israel's disobedience, or sorry, following Israel's obedience and his declaration that he will be with them, three times he stirs up spirits. God the Spirit is moving in the hearts of his people to encourage them towards faith and good works. But that's not the only thing that he does three times. Look there with me at verse four. It says, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, declares the Lord. Be strong, all you people. Three times following the Israelites, obedience in his declaration that he is with them, he doesn't just stir up their spirit. He commands them to be strong. God does not want his people to be weak. He does not want them to be lazy. He does not want them to be complacent. He does not want his people to be lukewarm. He doesn't want them to be apathetic. He doesn't want them to stand on the sidelong. He wants them to be strong. God wants his people to be strong. Blessed are the meek in spirit. But here, God says that one of the ways that you go about being meek in spirit is to feel his presence, be obedient to him, be stirred up and encouraged in your spirit, and be strong. To be good workers, he says. Fearless strength is encouraging and it is strong. God wants his people to, to be encouraged and motivated, stirred up in spirit, strong and fearless. Fearless. Where do I see that? Where do you see that? Remember the first bookend that we talked about was fearful obedience. What motivated that obedience? The people were afraid of God. They were fearful of God. Now God says something at the other bookend, In verse 5, at the very end, what does he say? Look at it. Don't listen to me say it. Look down at God's word. What does he say? My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. Do you know what the most common commandment in all of Scripture is? Fear not. Do you know what it says over and over and over again in Scripture? It says, don't be afraid. On one hand, we're to be fearfully obedient, but on the other hand, we are to be fearless and strong. What what an amazing truth that is. It's almost as though what God is telling us is that fearful worshipers make fearless workers. How can we fear God, call him a friend, enter into his presence with thanksgiving? How can we be strong in our weakness? All we have to do is look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all we have to do to understand it. The gospel does not require faithful obedience for you to enjoy the blessed presence or have fearless strength. Does it just sound like I just untied the knot that I've been like, trying to tie this whole time? No, no, no. Pay attention to what I'm saying. The gospel, in order for your salvation, does not require fearful obedience. It doesn't require your fearful obedience. If you hear my sermon this morning and you go, great, I'm going to get to work earning my favor with God. You've heard me all wrong. You've heard the gospel all wrong. You have not understood the life, death, and life of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is no way you can earn God's favor with your obedience. The gospel says that you are not required to be faithfully obedient to enjoy his presence or to be faithful. Fearlessly strong because Jesus was. Because Jesus was. Let's talk about the fearful obedience of Jesus. After a life of obedience, Jesus finds himself in this garden. And right before, like immediately before his ill-fated trial and his death on the cross, what does he say? We talked about it earlier. We said that Jesus cries out to his Father and he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. I'm afraid, Father. Don't, don't make me do this. If there's any other way for me to be obedient to you, for, if there's any other way for me to... Meet out your will, let me do it. But not my will, your will be done. When the uh, disciples come and say, Teach us to pray, he he includes in that uh, a prayer that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. And here, Jesus is actually acting out on that prayer. He's saying, God and Father, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of your wrath. If there's any other way for us to redeem this people, let it be so, but not my will, your will be done. Who here would willingly give their life today for the sake of the will of the kingdom of God? Who who here in this room, not Jesus, who here in this room would willingly say to God, in the face of danger and death, not my will, but yours be done and face certain death, who would do it? All of us, of course, go like, "Uh, let it be me. I want to do it, but don't we have a little bit of doubt Don't we have like some amount of reservation? Is there anyone with hesitations or think that they would have second thoughts? Anybody that would have doubts in the face of certain death? You need to hear that Jesus was perfectly, fearfully obedient for you. Where you would fail, Jesus succeeds. Where you would be disobedient, Jesus is perfectly obedient. But but here's where it takes a turn Talking about the blessed presence of God is something that, in this moment, Jesus was anxious about, he was fearful about, because he knew that he was going to lose the presence of God. And, and for some of you, like theological titans, you're like, well, he wasn't anxious, he's the son of man. Why was he sweating blood? Why was he praying this kind of prayer? There had to have been something in Jesus that was afraid of something, of, of death? He was afraid of losing the presence of God. Prove it. Prove it. The sixth to the ninth hour, darkness covered the land. God the Father had removed his presence from Jesus. He had turned his back. And in the midst of the darkness, Jesus screams out. He cries out, "Eloi, Eloi, Loma sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And amidst all of the excruciating pain of the cross, amidst all of the vulnerability of his stripness, of his bareness, of his nakedness there on the cross, the presence of God, his Father, that he had enjoyed for all of time was removed from him. Maybe this morning when we're talking about the presence of God, when I was talking about it earlier, you're just like, I haven't felt God's presence in a long, long time. No one understands that you have a Savior that knows exactly what that feels like. God's presence was removed from Jesus on the cross, and he cries out about it. He experiences that separation from the Father. Why? So that you could have presence with God the Father. Like the the critical point of the gospel is that Jesus experienced a lack of presence so that you could have complete, eternal presence with God forever. But that's not the end of the story. The the end of the story is is that Jesus then has fearless strength. And, And it's displayed like perfectly in his future coming. Jesus now is no longer in some tomb. He's not on the cross still dying for your sins. Where is he? He is seated at the right hand of God. All authority under heaven and earth has been given to him. The nations are a footstool for Jesus. Do you think that Jesus is afraid of anything? Is there anything that he can't accomplish? No, he is fearless and he is strong. The most high does not dwell in houses made by hands. My heavenly throne, my heavenly throne, Jesus says he sits on and the earth is a footstool. Hear your resurrected Savior say this over you this morning. Where you are fearful, where you are disobedient, Where you feel like you lack the presence of God, He is fearless and strong. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. That's the gospel. If you're wondering what the good news of the gospel is, that is it. But what effect might it have on us? Romans chapter 8 says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's you. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Jesus has already experienced all of that so that you can be fearlessly strong. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Did you hear the whisper there? Did you hear what Romans was speaking over you? You're more than conquerors with Christ. No fear. All strength. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. No fear. Be fearless. Fear not. That's God's words to the Israelites from Haggai. Those are God's words for us today in Jesus Christ. Fearful worshipers make fearless workers. And we have to understand what it is to live a life of fearful obedience in order that we might get a blessed presence and fearless strength from him. If you want to be fearless, if you want to be in God's presence, if you want blessing, obey God. Worship Him. Prioritize the worship of Him. Why? Because those are the blessings of obedient worship. So so I've got a challenge for you this morning. All of the people who are in this room, those who are online, take worship deathly seriously. Come expectant to these gatherings. Prioritize them. Uh, For the people that are in this room, I mean, you had other things to do today. Not just because it's July 4th. You had lots of other things to do today, but you're prioritizing the worship of God. You're being fearfully obedient in that. And what I just want to do this morning is like encourage you in that because it's just one of the best things that you can do with your life. The world is going to whisper. It's going to say you've got lots of better things to do, lots of better content, lots of better things to listen to prioritize worship. Know and understand that there are blessings that come out of obedient worship. Build up the body with your gifts. Get creative. Be sensitive to the Spirit. Read the scriptures. I want to give you one this morning, very, very briefly, and that is just give you permission. For so many people in this body, um, I've heard over the course of years that it's just like, well, it's hard to know how to minister if you're not an elder, if you're not a pastor, if you don't know how to play a guitar. That is rubbish. It is just the lies of the devil. Do you know how many people are in this room that like need, desperately need the gifts that God has given you to build up the body? Be creative. If you're an evangelist, evangelize. Encourage the people around you to evangelize. Teach them, model for them evangelism. If it's humility, man, put that humility on. Be just a model of humility. Go and serve the needs of other people in this body. If you have the gift of encouragement, encourage. If you have the gift of music, talk to Andrew. Like I mean, whatever you need to do, just know that those roadblocks are way up. You want to preach? We'll put you through an elder process. I need the help. I need a lot of help. Okay? Just know that if you're feeling called to do something, have a conversation about it, but also just know you don't need anybody's permission to do like 99% of the things that need to be done in this church. And I need the help. Our elder team needs the help. Our church needs the help. Lead out. Lead out. I'm over my time, but I did have an application that I thought you might be interested in this morning, so I'm going to go just a little bit over. Um, Here's what this has looked like for me and for our elder team and for our church. You may not know this, but back in November, we came really within one decision of actually like winding down City Church. You may not have known that. We We had a meeting where we talked with Will leaving, and just some of the absence of leadership at, you know, City Church, we had a lot of resources. We have amazing people. We actually, you know, our finances are pretty healthy and everything else, but we just weren't sure what the next season looked like, and as uh, the elder team, as Sawyer and I just wrestled through that decision over the course of one week, we didn't feel released from that. We didn't feel released from this church. We felt like what God was doing was moving in the midst of the people of City Church. And the decision that got made was we're going to take a step of obedience. We're going to take just one small step of obedience. We're going to talk to our lead team. See, see, see who's in. See how people are. We're, we're going to uh, kind of revamp membership. And we're going to give people an opportunity to climb back in and partner with us on, uh, on membership of this church. And people decided to do that. Man, November, December, January, those were some months where we were actually really needing to know what God wanted us to do. And then being fearfully obedient to whatever he was calling us to do. That's what we needed to do. But then here's something that's neat. It wasn't just fearful obedience. We took those steps of obedience or what we thought was obedient. And God blessed it. God is really blessed you sitting here this morning are an evidence of God's grace and his blessing his blessed presence when I'm talking when I'm reading through Haggai it's really hard for me not to just read into this story like what God has called us to do hey I need you to be obediently worshipful I need you to prioritize worship got it we're going to seek a revival of joyful worship Do you need us to finish? Do you need us to get all the way through 2001, 2022? Does it need to be a big, huge, amazing building with 500 people, with the the best lights and sound? Does it need to be that before you'll bless us with your present? It doesn't. He just goes, I'm gonna be with you. He is so with this church. I see it in the conversations that I have every day. I know that you might not actually get the vantage point to see that, God is blessing us with his presence, daily blessing us with his presence. Sorry if you're a newcomer this morning. It's kind of weird to show up on a July 4th. Glad you're here. We're going to talk about our church and cry a little bit. That's what we're going to do. Here's the next step for all of us. We need to be fearlessly strong we're going to face over the course of the next several years some decisions whether or not we just need to go for it whether we need to press forward whether we need to uh, seek the greatest amount of spiritual good for the greatest number of people we're going to have slings and arrows and fiery trials we're going to have all of that and what we need to do is listen to God's voice with him saying fear not be strong and that's what we're aiming to do Here at City Church, we are aiming for a revival of joyful worship. We're seeking the same thing that Israel has been commanded to do. Pay attention to this story. Pay attention to Haggai. When we see God bless obedient worship, I want you to see his presence being just lavished on City Church. I want you to hear his words to be strong and for you to be fearless. Let's pray that he would do that. God and Father, you are great and glorious. You have called this church to something. You're going to do and accomplish amazing things through it, but that's not really the point. You just want simple, fearful obedience. You promise us your presence. Lord, as we are obediently worshipful, we do believe we just know that you will continue not only to manifest your presence but to bless us that you will bless us with uh, fearlessness and with strength father would you make it so we can't conjure these things up nobody in this room is a motivational enough speaker to accomplish your purposes Nobody in this room has power of will to take us to the next season of thriving that you have planned for us. Only you, your word, your son, your spirit, your people can accomplish that. And so we pray that you would do it. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray that you would bless it. And as we take communion, as we sing songs of praise to you, Lord, would you strengthen us? Would you allow for our fears to melt away? We pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.